0: test and <laughs> a christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about christian topics it is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a christian perspective christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world Christianity
1: is a worldview.
0: Worldviews are the grids.
2: They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Hey guys, and welcome to episode three of the Black Berea podcast. My name is Mary, and who's on the panel? Dummy's
3: on the panel.
1: Hey, Big Rich is here. Big Rich. (laughs) I know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Big Rich. (laughs)
2: Listen. (laughs) Coffee's about.
3: Corey's about this top four selected. How you guys doing?
2: I'm okay. How's everyone else doing?
0: Yeah,
3: I'm good this week.
2: Yeah. Are yeah, oh, you yeah. not nice this week? That's that's <laughs> hey, I was just about to ask the same question. <laughs> he usually
3: says, I'm nice. But this week he's good. And I can understand what he means. So I'm happy yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rich, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm nice, I'm nice, I'm nice. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mary, you good?
2: Yeah, I'm good, I'm good.
3: Sweet. Um so If you've just recently followed us on our social media, I just want to say a shout out to all of you. Um, One of our sisters is now at the Just Gospel Conference in the US, um, building up lots of of Christian networks and fellowshipping with some of the saints out there during the Just Gospel Conference. International! Hey. Um, So if you're just hearing the podcast for the first time, please make sure you check out episodes one and two. This is episode three of the Black Barrio podcast. Um, And today we're going to be talking about race in the black British and African-American context. Mm. Um, so I think it's kind of sparked by our sister's kind of visit um, to the US and the conversations I imagine they were having at the Just Gospel Conference. So they were talking about things like justice um, in African-American in African American churches. And so it kind of sparked up conversations between us about, you know, what does race look like in the African-American experience and the black British experience? Yeah. And how are we to understand and respond um, to some of those uh, kind of social injustices that we see.
1: It's probably worth mentioning as well. Mm. Man like Samuel. Uh, True, like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, man like Sammy, L J. <laughs> <laughs> Are <you> abbreviating name, <laughs> everyone's names today, bro? Uh, man like Sammy J. Mm. Um, obviously, his, uh, his 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 things that happened in the news recently. Um, him talking about the whole uh, black actors in America versus black actors in Britain. That's obviously sparked. Uh, a lot of a, a lot of conversation a lot mm. of, a, a lot of uh, many articles have been written already I'm sure uh, I've read a few good ones um, <laughs> I've read a few interesting ones anyway uh, so yeah I think I think that's obviously going to also contribute to a, a conversation like this for real uh, yeah must be
3: what must did be. you guys think about his comments just as a lap, like, as a kind of precursor no? I, I, I felt
2: a lot of frustration I think especially looking at American film and the fact that there's only one or two black roles um, and then him seeing that these one or two black roles are now going to UK actors. uh, I think he said something about um, maybe if this role was played by an American actor he might have brought something to it. Referring referring to Get Up. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, And also saying maybe the reason why they're getting booked is because they're cheaper and it just... I don't know, this kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, the fact right. that he couldn't really comment on, actually, they're just good. And right. that's the reason why they're getting casted into these roles as opposed to their cheap labour or, you know, their new Sweat face. Yeah,
3: Damn, done. Um, you've seen the film, right? Yeah, I've seen it. Out. Good film?
2: Yeah, it's a good film. A lot of good themes mm. that we may discuss in future topics, but it does really hone in on, you know, especially the liberal kind of Americans and their opinion on race and actually how they undo a lot of the, the good that they think they do. in in regards to Ray so it is an interesting film to watch
3: so like I definitely agree with you if you suggest that the um, comments were incendiary in the sense that he was saying black British actors were cheap labour Yeah. but I do think there's some credence to the suggestion that actually our individual lived experiences as black British people and African American people can have some bearing on our ability to portray some of the figures so he also spoke about um, films like Selma, yeah, and David Oyelowo played that. He's a black British man. Yeah. Not saying that he doesn't have the acting ability, yeah, but perhaps for somebody who has grown up in um, segregated America, or who has <clears throat> understood perhaps the legacy of segregated America, mm-hmm. may be able to uh, not necessarily make it more real, but they just have a different vantage point with which to act it. In- yeah. yeah, they'll yeah. probably relate yeah. more. Um, and similarly, like Chiswell for twelve years a slave, um, Black British actors who, by no means, we should discredit their ability as actors. But I do kind of see where he's coming from. I just didn't like the comments about them being more for one, they're cheaper. That that came across as pretty arrogant. Yeah. So perhaps one of the things that could help us to clarify his comments was if we try to establish how the realities of the racial experience differs or converges between African-Americans and black British people. Um, So Mm. how do you guys think they're similar or different?
0: Uh, So I think probably one of the major differences is this issue of identity. So I think because of the experience of um, how African-Americans came to be in America, Mm. their heritage was sort of cut off in a particular way that is not experienced by, I think, a large majority of black British people. So what that has forced is people in the African-American context to, as it were, have an identity founded upon the African-American experience. Mm. Whereas for a number of children of the diaspora in the UK, we still have very clear, very defined links back to Africa, back to the Caribbean. We know basically in that sense where we've come from because we've come, Mm. I think, uh, in a large part for different reasons, for... Perhaps economic reasons, for example. So I think some of us still attach our heritage in that way. Whereas some, I might ask, like, damn you, like, so where are you from? Mm. And if he, he answers, he might say Nigerian. Whereas that, that answer is not going to be there for an African-American the same way. It right. might be for some. But they've lost their origins, essentially. Yeah, but I think that experience of how they came to be there has mm. led to them having to forge a new identity. So mm. I think we're behind in that sense of actually developing our identity as black British people. But that's because we still have the opportunity to draw upon our wider heritage. It's not necessarily
1: behind, then in that sense, because we still have the link to our our origins, our ethnic origins. So I,
0: th- I think it's behind. I just don't think it's a negative behind. Okay, so
3: it's just behind in the sense that there's no real shared identity founded yes. upon that kind of.
0: So I think that's only happening now. We beginning to think of it. So like I thought, um, the BBC when they did their uh, "Black is the New Black," um, those like that that black that black British season. Yeah, I think that was like that's one of the things I've been been pushing forward, this understanding of being black and being British. Right. So I'm not saying it wasn't there before, but I just think increasingly what we're starting to see is it's becoming a thing where people are actually drawing their identity from this understanding of being black and British. Yeah, yeah I hear you.
3: Um, for me, one of the, I guess, the big differences was the um, legal landscape in which um, African-Americans existed previously um, and how the UK never really had what you'd consider to be legalised segregation. Yeah. So you think about what takes place in America like a Jim Crow. Yeah. We never had that kind of politicised and um, legally codified segregation of black and white people. But what you would say that was similar was the fact that you could come into the UK and see signposts on door saying no blacks, no Jews, no Irish. For real, yeah. Um, and so there's a sense in which almost I feel as if... Um, the way in which Americans respond to racial injustices, there's definitely a a heavy rights emphasis um, because much of the struggle has been a legal struggle. Yeah. Whereas for uh, black British people, because we didn't have to deal with the kinds of of codified and legal structure that made us appear to be an inferior people, our interactions with racial discrimination or racial prejudice tend to be more of a subtle nature, things that are more ingrained by people Mm -hmm. who have those attitudes but weren't necessarily for legalising them or politicising them in a very public way.
1: So microaggressions, subtle forms, for example, institutional racism. Mm -hmm.
3: Things Um, Things that you can't necessarily... You couldn't point to a law and say, that basically establishes how... You're discriminated against. I see. Which you could do with Jim Crow law. On the flip side here, I think um, it's a very nuanced way in which black British people could experience racism. So, I mean, Kofi, you talk about this regularly, the Victoria line.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my daily struggle. Um, No, but yeah, I think there's that sense in which British people express ourselves very differently to how Americans express themselves I know I'm making generalisations here but I think there's enough truth in the generalisations to (laughs) make a point so you're getting on the Victoria line now for those in America who don't understand we're getting on the subway that's what I'm Mm. basically saying in London you're getting on the subway and someone like jumps in front of you on the train and Mm. they get that last spot the door closes British people are more likely to roll their eyes, puff, puff, tucks, look at (laughs) someone, catch someone's eye and be like, did you see that? But only talk with their eyes. (laughs) Then actually make a comment to the person. At the the most, kiss their teeth. Exactly. So I think this this understanding of being, I guess, this is British culture that we're not as expressive when Mm. things offend us, I think translates into how people interact with these issues. Mm. So... Whilst you, you're you're less likely to to hear a outright racial slur, I mm. think in parts of parts of London, for example, there is still the attitude behind that racial slur that seems to think about um, an inferiority superiority issue between races and those kind of things. Mm. They're still prevalent. Yeah, it's just they're not expressed in a clearer way. And I think in the US, I think again generalisation, I know, but I think there has been a sense in which there has been a bit more freedom of the tongue. Yeah, that's led to. A lot uh, of sin, but I've you have, have to
1: admit, though, even post Brexit, there has been a bit of a you know I don't know a zeal boost for the racists. They they have felt a bit more of a a bit more strength. Uh, a bit they're, they're speaking with a bit more chest <laughs> now. That, you know, I, and I recognise that it's probably because obviously through the whole Brexit situation, they've they felt that there's some sort of I don't know some complicit agreement um, from the rest of the of the nation. In, in saying okay we want to leave the EU as a, as a sign to suggest that um, even if they don't want to be so explicit about it, there is subtle forms or, or a slight contribute a slightly racist undertones uh, that have contributed to the whole idea. So even though I accept that it might be different in the sense that America is more explicit or they, they might be, they might be more willing to state it out loud especially because of their the, the historical narrative. It is something that within the UK is, even if not necessarily to black people, it is becoming a bit clearer that the racists are becoming a bit more, a bit more vocal in terms of their um, ideologies, etc.
3: And I think that's sorry, I think that's um, permitted when you have the politicisation of xenophobia. Yeah. So yeah. you think about political parties like UKIP, like the BNP, who at the forefront of their political agendas have made racist statements, have made policy decisions, well, not that they're in power, but have at least expressed policy um, preferences preferences and aims in light of the fact that they wish to serve particular communities more so than they do others because they're not indigenous peoples, quote unquote, whatever that means. Um, (laughs) And so that, like you say, that's given people confidence almost. Mm. They turn and they see this MP of Diddlesbury mm. speaking in a way is that a real you, place. That, listen, I just came up it with something. Yeah. <laughs> it could, it, be, it could be. It, it could be. I'm and if you're that. the MP of Diddlesbury, I apologise if I'm sorry. But the point is is that kind of informs a sense of well, if he's able to do it, I guess I can be a bit more public uh, with my own kinds of sentiments towards people of different backgrounds and racial groups. Mm. Kofi, you're about to say something. I
0: was just going to say, I think the the covert nature of um, racial prejudice in the UK, I think, has led to um, a stifled response, I think. Okay. And a stifled response to the response. So, for example, when someone talks about Black Lives Matter in the UK Mm. and being a part of that UK form of the movement, Mm. a lot of, I think, contention... Now, we're not endorsing it either way, but a lot of contention has come from people who are not directly affected, as it were. They're in the majority. Yeah. race wise has been but this is not the US right. the problems you don't have problems yeah. like that and I think that comes <laughs> out of that understanding Ooh. of the expression of racial prejudice in this country mm. is very much hidden in forms shadows hidden figures <laughs> and we're not actually I like that film bro. <laughs> <laughs> for real <laughs> um, so it seems okay
1: so in terms of differences so far you've got the legal structure you've got the um, What was the other one that Kofi mentioned? Identity. Identity, which is actually a very good point. Um, And then you've got things like there's just uh, universal ignorance uh, when it comes to dealing with race in general. Mm. But are there many other differences, similarities? I
3: would say that the nature of policing in the UK and the US is very different. Okay, Um, yeah. So our officers, the majority of them anyway, um, are unarmed. Whereas in the US it's legal for police officers to carry yeah. guns yeah. Um, and operate with them. Now, I think what that means is that in the UK, you're less likely to have instances of the killing of unarmed black British people. Whereas, okay. unfortunately, what you've seen in the US is um, the regular killing of unarmed black civilians like uh, Philando Castile. Yeah. Um, and I think because of the nature of the policing between the two uh, people groups, so black British people and African-American people is so different. When people are talking about we don't have the same experiences, mm. so why are we propounding Black Lives Matter in the UK? It doesn't mean that we can't necessarily recognise that our interactions with the police can also be dangerous. So you think about a guy like Sheku Ubayo, who was mm. killed in police custody. Yeah.
1: Um,
3: in a similar way... or oh, sorry, I, I say in a similar way. In a... Um,
0: I was just going to jump in there and actually, like, echo that thought. And I was going to, like, draw it back to even, for example, what we saw after the, the murder of Stephen Lawrence was, I think, a report finding that the Met Police at that particular time were institutionally racist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have the issue of um, Sarah Reid in 2016, who also died in police custody. Yeah. And so whilst the, the, the scale of the issue perhaps is not comparable to the US... Mm there are still issues here, very real issues here. And I think there was this interesting um, article written where there was a study cited from, I think it was City University London. Mm. Um, And it said basically that journalism in the UK is about 94% white in terms of the people writing things. Um, And I think that has an effect on what news stories are put out. So if things don't get coverage, then people aren't aware of them and people therefore don't react to them. And I think that's one of the issues that we're having in the UK, whereas in the US, I think there are more developed platforms like BuzzFeed or like Medium. post Black Voices, those kind of things. Exactly, where people can actually write pieces that are informing different strands of the demographic of the country that they're in. I don't think we have that developed as much here. Mm. To be honest, we get the
1: most of our Black Feed from things like the opinion sections or possibly some culture sections on things like The Guardian or whatnot, but not necessarily... Uh, as developed, whole newspapers dealing with like black culture or, or news from a, a, a largely black perspective, etc. We have the Voice.
3: <laughs> Ain't nobody read the Voice?
1: Said, I thought the Voice was the. No, <laughs> <show. laughs> nah, not even that. I'm Tom
3: Right, <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I think, um, I think that says a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. I didn't that's like, know,
2: this, that, I didn't know that was still
3: printed. Yeah, show. that's that's. I think it might even moved to mostly online content now.
1: Okay. But but I think also back to the whole idea of police brutality, though. Um, I see what you're saying, mm-hmm. and I think and I think I think you've kind of made maybe because you've been quite comprehensive. It, maybe maybe you have made a maybe you have covered this, but the just because the police officers in America have guns, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily stop. It doesn't necessarily mean that police brutality, as you've suggested, is not an issue in the UK. Right. full Stop. Yeah. And uh, and you know I'm not gonna lie. I, I remember seeing a picture ages ago. say something like you know, like, I think they were arguing for why guns should be allowed in America, and they said something like, um, "Guns isn't the issue." You know, Cain, like, Cain killed Abel with a rock. Yeah. You know, like like <laughs> at the end of the day, it's uh, it really isn't it really isn't, a, it really isn't a, an issue. Obviously, the tools allow them to manifest their um their discriminatory acts etc more more clearly um more viciously and 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 ultimately then f- therefore you see more murdering etc and obviously the, the the demographic the political the the population as a whole the the distribution of black the number of black people in america is 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 larger so you're going to have more you're going to naturally have more police uh killings in america as well truly because of that as well as more, there's going to be more news around it at the moment and all that kind of stuff. So so there's many
0: factors. I feel like that's an interesting intersection and we can jump off the back of, you know, your discussion on Cain and Abel and go into actually thinking about how the Bible asks us to view these issues of race.
3: Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to episode 3 of the Black Boreal podcast. Just want to reiterate to you that we are on iTunes, so please make sure that you rate, review and subscribe. Our hashtag on Twitter is... Hashtag Black Berea pod can find us at BlackBeria. If you're on Facebook, the Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash BlackBeria. We're also on Instagram, so make sure that you're double tapping at BlackBeria. Make sure you retweet, comment, and check our hashtags. Follow up with your questions, your feedback. We want to hear what you guys think. Thanks so much for listening. Back to the next part of the show. Yeah, that's I think naturally the question that arises then is does the Bible encourage believers to see each other through a post-racial lens? Um
1: Gami, explain.
2: What do you mean by
3: post-racial? Explain. So by post-racial, it's almost... <laughs> okay, that's, for the listeners. That's for the, the laymen. Yeah. yeah, the listeners. Um, so when I say post-racial, it's almost as in we move beyond identifying or categorising people in groups, in particular racial groups. Right? So we don't see race. So we don't see race. Almost, dare I say, colour blindness. <laughs> That is
1: so unbiblical. We don't recognise that (laughs) such and such
3: is from this racial group and this other person is from that racial group. We just say they're believers and therefore we don't see the distinction between them or the uniqueness of the individual.
1: Well, the Bible sees people through a post racial lens. So I'm struggling well through a through a racial lens as well as you know.
3: Okay, just breathing, because I thought you were about to say, yeah, the Bible does. to with, with that terminology. Um, No,
1: no, no, the Bible recognizes race. Okay, definitely. Um, it's interesting. It's actually interesting because I recognize. Um, I think about this quite a bit. I Genesis eleven talks about the Tower of Babel, etc. Mm-hmm. Where obviously you know God scatters the languages because the people are trying to build a tower up into up into the heavens, etc. Man is trying to ascend to be God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so God. Brings about a diverseness in a diversity in language, as a means of confusion and judgment, and yet in his redemptive purpose, he then uses that diversity uh, for his glory. Uh, we see in, for example, I think it's Revelations five nine, mm-hmm. how he uh, he's redeemed, how praise be to the Lamb who who's, who was slain, who has redeemed us by his blood um, from the different tribes, tongues, and nations. You know, mm. even in heaven race will be recognized the kings from the different cultures will bring in their glory i think in revelations chapter in the, in the 20th, 21. 20 21 yeah so. revelation 21 so so you, so you get the so you get those all those wonderful pictures of how culture race um is going to be viewed in heaven and by the way you wouldn't apply this to any other spheres as well uh, how do you if, mean like like you like if gender. You're gender for example <laughs> um now that i'm a christian i'm no longer male or female yeah, I hate
3: but what if somebody poses something like a Galatians three, where they say there's no difference between Greek nor Jew, male nor female.
1: They all deserve the gospel. <laughs> that's, that's 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 the right. they they're all in Christ. That's, you know that's what I mean? the right response, um, rather
3: than suggesting yeah there are no distinctions between people.
1: Yeah, so you get Ephesians two. Yeah. Um, Tearing down that wall of Part two. um, you know, that wall What's of d- postility? hostility. Hostility, sorry, yeah. Mary's mm, yeah, giving him that. <laughs> Correct him, <laughs> um, but no, 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 yeah. Breaking down that wall of hostility that lies between the like the, um, that lies between the Jews and the Gentiles. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of Romans, um, Ephesians
0: 2. Um, yeah, no, I agree entirely. I think it's important to note that I think the Bible encourages us to view race redemptively, mm. as Richard has alluded to. Um but it also encouraged us to view race in a different way to perhaps how it was viewed at one particular point. So Richard mentions Ephesians two, for example. And in that scenario, when someone's looking at race through those lenses of being a Jew or a Gentile, that was once a separating issue that if you were a part of the Israelite nation, you were a part of God's covenant people. And if you were a Gentile, you're without hope you're without god in the world yeah Mm -hmm. now in terms of like looking at the gospel what the gospel does in a very real sense is it creates a new race of people so that new race of people are let's say the church and that's not that but that doesn't at the same time take away from the fact that you know you're still a black person or you're still an asian person Mm. but it does have something that supersedes so that means for example when i'm looking at my race I understand it through the lens of me being a Christian person first because oh, wow. that informs my understanding of races. So right. I'm so I'm black, but I reckon and and my my origins
1: are in Nigeria. I my nationality is currently British.
3: Current, can it can it change? <laughs> hey, <Bruce. laughs> is it subject to change? <laughs> this guy's trying know. to make a very good point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say this again. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Listen. My origin is in Nigeria. My nationality is in prison, right? Um, but my citizenship is in heaven. Mm. Right. Ooh, see, this is why I said I don't need to ruin. That was a good punchline. Right? Yeah, you yeah. just made it up now. I hey, <laughs> shot him. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I recognise that's actually quite. That's actually quite it's, beautiful. Yeah, it's, poor, that's it's quite beautiful. Philippians, um, yeah, yeah. Philippians two or oh, three, three, three.
2: <laughs> but is the post-racial lens? Is it more of a big picture? So the idea is that not not to look past race, but not to let race become a barrier. That it has been in the past, maybe is that is that what you're fleshed question. it out, Mary, for us. So what I mean, out. is that some people may say, okay, I don't see race, and obviously, when some of these people say this, you see, you know, you, you they're feel well-meaning. <laughs> yeah, they are well-meaning. Sometimes it's a cop out. <laughs> <laughs> Misbehavior. They are well-meaning, but I think they don't actually appreciate the nuances and the differences and the, even the diversity that we have in our race in, as a people group. In our nation, but I think when when they're saying seeing past race, I think their idea is that not to let it become something that um, stops us from fellowshipping, stops us from coming to the gospel, yeah. stops us from being able to appreciate what God has done in, in the Lord. Um, I think if if the question is is looking to that, then I get it at the highest level. Yeah. But actually, when we as we get deeper and as we as we go down, we definitely need to realise that you know God has made us different skin tones, different races, to the glory of His name.
3: Mm. Yeah, no, no, I get that. Um, There's
2: beauty in that diversity.
3: Yeah, so I would say that we can we should afford credit to our fellow believers who are not necessarily looking at it from a colorblind perspective mm. where they say they don't want to have to interact with issues of race or racial reconciliation because of the advent of Jesus Christ and therefore we don't see any distinction or uniqueness in people. But perhaps I'm inclined to think that there are some people... Who from a negative perspective don't wish to address issues of
1: race. Hence why I said cop out. Hence yeah. why, yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, they cop out of those kinds of discussions yeah. by suggesting that we can homogenize one another mm.
0: because we're Christians. No. I think it's a difficult discussion though. I think okay. I think um so historically the church on a number of social issues mm. um, let's say, for example, abortion, yeah. The church has by and large, held a position. Mm-hmm. And in the church itself, that position has been, by and large, practiced.
2: Yeah.
0: When we're talking about the issue of racial reconciliation, yeah. there has been a sense in which the church, in parts of its history, have been guilty of the sins that it now is, by looking at the scriptures, forced to decry. Right, And I think that creates a position where people are just inherently uncomfortable yeah. with dealing with that which is so at home to them. Mm. So not saying that they're loving this fact that there was this racial sin that's, that's been perpetrated over time. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, it's painful to have to look at your own actions and the actions of people in your lineage and actually look at them and say, actually, you know what? We've been so far off the mark there. Yeah. This, is, so this was us, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's painful to look at your own sin. Right. And so I think that has led to, I think, some people feeling as though if we don't look at it and we don't speak about it, maybe it doesn't exist. It got away. out of sight, out yeah. of mind thing. And yeah. That's one of the aspects that leads to people as well, just thinking, yeah, let's not talk about this and let's focus on the gospel. Yeah. But ultimately, we preach a just gospel and mm-hmm. that gospel takes into consideration the different races that God has made in man.
3: Mm. Sorry, so just
1: on the, do you have another point to make? Um, More summarising... As Kofi's really just uh, um, suggested, the gospel is redemptive, and because I think they I think they mentioned this in the in the Just Gospel Conference actually, because the gospel is redemptive, theology must impact every single area of our um, understanding of our, our sociological and ethnic and ethnic ideologies. ideologies essentially, yeah. it's it's the gospel is redemptive, thus it must redeem our thought. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah it's a it's the whole romans 12 renewing your mind thing and and i think the more we we see the more we recognize that the more we see okay so the gospel doesn't do away with race it just rec- it just allows us to correctly address race right. and racial issues
3: okay cool on that point about um correctly addressing race and racial issues mm. what do you think that sometimes christians can be guilty of when dealing with issues of racism or racial reconciliation? truly I've got two things. But like, I've got more. <laughs> <laughs> One.
0: But silly. I think the first thing that I would say is um, there is an emphasis placed in Christ's teaching on the church being united. Yep. Yeah. And it's pivotal that we strive mm-hmm. for unity at all points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think what has happened in some cases as there's there's been a, a failure to understand that pointing out issues that need to be addressed is, equating, is, is being equated with promoting disunity. Yeah. And I, and I think, I, I heard this in a sermon recently, so I'll just be honest and say this is not an original thought. Harvard reference. We don't go to a doctor and tell him off for talking about cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we recognise that it's important that he talks about cancer so we can get to the place of saying, okay, how do we treat cancer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way we shouldn't in the church when we're raising issues that actually cause um, disunity Yeah, we shouldn't say oh because you're talking about this that that's problematic no what we should say is okay so you've raised this issue what do we do next to bring about christian unity in light of this issue yeah and i think sometimes we make that we don't make that that thought clear in our minds and in our speech and in our actions yeah the second thing is so did, did you guys like read that article by that woman on i think gospel coalition where she was like um, when God sends your white daughter a black husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember.
3: And she caught a lot of flat. She caught she caught a lot of yeah, Well
0: yeah. meaning. Exactly. Well so meaning. I, I think on that point, like there was I read I read some of the critiques, the criticism and so on. And there was credence in some of them. Like yeah. they, they weren't just baseless. Yeah. Some some of them had very strong points. Yeah. But I think what wasn't I think focused on enough is this idea that where she was coming from. Yeah. yeah. She was coming from the perspective of trying to do something for the church that would bring about reconciliation that we're talking yeah. about unity yeah. Yeah, yeah. and i think if we are so quick so quick to basically say if you're not getting this perfect yeah. you're wrong yeah we don't want to hear you that alienates people from this discussion it makes it hard yeah. it, and you can't have racial reconciliation if you alienate other races yeah <laughs> so
3: yeah I, I see the point because it's almost like an echo chamber thing right yeah. so people say that they want to have open dialogue and conversation about racial issues about racial reconciliation But actually what it turns into is lectures. So I guess, I'm not saying we're guilty of this, but it's one of the things that we have to be mindful of. Mm. As a group of people from a particular background and experience, um, it's possible for us, if we don't curb, i say, our sinful appetites, Mm. to turn this into um, almost attacks on people who don't share our sentiments Mm, or our views. And actually James encourages us, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak Mm. and so in the instance of that lady
1: um, we were swift to speak and slow to hear hear. if we had given
3: the time to reflect on the things that she posted in that article it would have helped us to be able to address the issues that she was trying to deal with Um, and I guess another thing perhaps I feel as if Christians can be guilty of is sin labels Um, I'll flesh that out so when I say sin labels when we're dealing with things like racism some people are quick to say it's just sin right racism is just sin without necessarily dealing with the structural or systemic properties mm. that race uh, that racism has um, so I think it's important that when we're dealing with something like a sin that's particular a sin as particular as racism, we recognize that this takes place on a relational level between persons, but because of the there is an institutionalised nature of racism yeah. forged on history. No doubt. That means that we have to be able to speak about racism in light of the fact that, yes, it can occur between individuals, but individuals can also be um, subject to this on a more pervasive scale. Um, by failing to recognise that structural nature, we can tend to trivialise the sin of yeah, racism.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah. I th- I th- I've got a couple of points mm. on this. It's, uh, it feels bad to be talking about so many points when it comes to... Uh, so many issues when it comes to uh, how Christians deal with race, but obviously it, uh, it needs to be addressed, right? So um, I think the first one is just the fact of peace, the element of the idea of peace, obviously um, it's mentioned in the Beatitudes. Um, it's a gospel of peace. Um, you know, there's pieces of fruit of the spirit. So there's an element in which Christians should be growing in, um create an environment you know of being to grow in being peacemakers essentially and i think with regards to the issue of race it's very easy for us to think passively but not necessarily actively um to think of racism as being passively dealt with as long as we don't speak in a certain way say certain things and do certain things whereas as dami's probably suggest as dami's suggested already um the structural impacts of racism and whatnot have effects to the point whereby essentially we have, it takes not just not do a mission, but also being commissioned to go out and do certain things in order to improve the situation of race. And I think that's one thing. But the second thing is, um, I guess the second thing just comes down to practice in particular. So, I remember one man said it ages ago, but and he was talking about, he was dealing with something completely different, but he essentially said that uniformity doesn't equal unity. Um, and I think that's really important because when it comes down to how we think the church should look, for example, yeah. Um, it's very easy for us to think of all the sound churches we know and 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 and, and the large majority of them will be predominantly white, and then to think, okay because the, these white churches look this particular way or do these particular things, they sing with one organ, for example, or whatever it may be, um, that then automatically means that every sound church, irrespective of the culture, must look and act the exact same way. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
0: Uh, I, think, I think that's definitely... Uh, I, I agree. I think we have to make a distinction between what is biblical doctrine and the culture in which that comes to us by. Yeah. So, so, for example, there's, there's, there's some hymns that I, I, I know and um, I can't sing very well, so I'm not going to sing them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when, when you're listening to the hymn sung in a particular context, it's based off, it, in a essentially white culture. And yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. But the, the point is, when we're talking about things that come from, let's say, a black and African culture or a Caribbean culture, we shouldn't be thinking, okay, how does that compare to this, the white default? We should be thinking, how does this compare to the biblical standard? Yeah. yeah. So the white default is an expression of the biblical standard. But it's not the biblical standard exactly. In, like, itself. Yeah. Exactly. So we have to make that distinction so that our churches are actually focused on the truth of scripture as expressed in the diversity of races. And I think that's what, as we said in Revelations
1: chapter 21, was it? Yeah. Um, when the kings bring in their different culture uh from the the kings from the different countries bringing their their various cultures into heaven obviously it's not necessarily saying that all of the culture um is going to be brought in for example there's yeah. there's, there's, there's there's all sorts of sin embedded within our cultures mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but the good from our cultures from our various tribes from our various tongues from our various nationalities and from our various dwellings you'll receive will um they will all make it
3: be replicated.
1: They'll all be replicated, or they'll all be they all make their way into he- they all make have some sort of space within heaven. Mm. So so it's just that you don't want to necessarily lose your culture all because what isn't white isn't right. You know, it's uh you you want to recognize that there are still good things. There can be good things about your culture that doesn't necessarily have to look exactly like it does in in um,
0: predominantly white churches and whatnot. So I think I want to do one thing and then like maybe spin the question. Uh-huh. So, so the, f- the first thing I would say is also I think it's important that we as black people don't think everything about our culture is right. Yeah. Um so when we're talking to say your stuff is wrong, isn't it? <laughs> 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 I'm I'm serious. Serious. But we, we have to be honest enough to say that there are depraved parts of every culture. Yeah. yeah. And so blackness in its entirety as it's been expressed in the West. It's not all good. Yeah, It's still fallen. It's still fallen. And yeah. so we, we, we should be able to say, you know what, well, actually, that aspect is fallen. We mm-hmm. shouldn't be trying to encourage that. Um And if, you know, one of our white brothers says that is sin, we don't go, oh, you don't understand because you're black. <laughs> we go, <Good laughs> black. Yeah. we go. I
3: think that's referred to as ethnic Gnosticism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: we go, that. yeah, you're right, that yeah. is sin. Um So I think we have to do that as well. But flipping it, what do you think are some of like the positive ways we can go about as being individual Christians, furthering this agenda of racial reconciliation within the church?
2: Um, I think, I think in the kind of the positive things we can do is just being active. So of, of course, in our local context, in our local church, you know, being active with our brothers and sisters, you know, one way we can we can practice re- racial reconciliation is if. There's things in our church that we don't uh, we don't think are right. we go and we speak to these people and also we're, we're gracious if someone's getting it wrong for example, I think what you said earlier about the woman and how you know even though she was well-meaning, it just didn't go as as well as she intended instead of you know hitting her with, with a stick, we're actually sitting her down and saying, okay she's desirous to do something good and let me yeah. put her in the way and yeah same vice versa if, if if we're seeing things that we need to rec- correct, we are desirous to do so. Um, and I think in our local context and in, in our local communities we find ourselves in, being willing and being able to engage with those around us and, and hoping that they will respond in a way, as, as a loving brother or sister would, in, in acknowledging our pain and our burden and being able to help us. Because I feel like yeah. in our communities, well, not in our communities, I think we have a propensity to like dismiss and denigrate people's burdens and pain and say, okay, that's not a gospel issue, that's a social issue. And instead of actually saying this person's hurt, this person's in pain, how can I seek to rectify the issue? How
0: does, it, mm. how does someone apply the gospel to minister to that issue? Yeah. That kind of mm. Man, like, D, what are you saying?
3: I think one way we can positively work to achieve racial reconciliation in the church is about being particular with, say, our works of mercy. Mm. Um, so if we come from churches where there are, um, do I, dare I say, people from a uni-ethnic background, We recognise that the gospel is for all people. And so in demonstrating works of mercy, so um, being able to speak to and help to deal with practically social injustices that people from other racial groups face. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when we see that our brothers and sisters from a particular ethnic group are being um, discriminated against, yeah, being intentional about the ways in which we seek to challenge some of those issues. Yeah, yeah. So not only speaking to them, but where we can help perhaps with our funds Yeah. or with our service, seeking to achieve racial reconciliation yeah. in those kind of ways.
1: On a side note, do you think we've actually, uh, the church has handled that wrongly? Say that again? On a side note, do you think that... Um, Certain, certain members, within, certain prominent figures within the church have handled that wrongly. Um, it's the it's the Peter gospel. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, I think, yeah, okay. So I think perhaps people have handled it wrongly in a sense where they suggest that um, the gospel doesn't speak to those particular kinds of issues. Yeah, yeah. Wherever racism is taking place, a sin is being committed. Yeah. And so therefore we can recognize that the gospel deals with the sin of racism, and so can speak to it. Now, it's not the primary function of the church to preach against mm. racism per se. But, but it's a
0: necessary thing, isn't yes. it? Because when you talk about the gospel, you're talking about um, the gospel basically brings man to the point of loving God. Yeah. But how can you truly love God if you don't love his image bearers? hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Rich, what do you think is a positive way in which we can respond to racial reconciliation?
1: A positive way? Um... I think I think mine maybe a bit slightly two smaller points. Um, I think one pastors just being conscious about dealing with the texts that are um, that are dealing with race. I think I think I think Kofi's actually mentioned this in a previous podcast. But pastors dealing with um, what it means when it says neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, and how there's the wall of partition has been broken down. But mm. at the same time, dealing with how your race is still a, and your cult, individual cultures are a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, so like I said, like a revelation is 21, for example. Um, and I think even just the, the Romans, the Romans nine and Romans 10 uh, openings, just the, the, the recognition again of race still being um, something that exists post salvation or pre-salvation or whatnot and things that we can look at. I, th- I think the second thing, on the other hand, though, is uh, when it comes to ethnic minorities within these churches, I think it's just about them also embracing and educating uh, their fellow brethren when it comes to race and uh, when it comes to their, their, um, their culture. Because I think what the, the tendency or the, or, the, um, or the possible or, the, or something that can possibly happen is that ethnic minorities can come to places where it is predominantly white, for example and feel as though they're not allowed to express themselves in, they're not allowed to express their culture or they're not allowed to express their race. They're not yeah. allowed to, you know, for example, wear traditional, you know, clothes, <laughs> you know, not allowed to wear that tradition, the, the, the traditional clothing. Yeah. Uh, in America, by the way, that's a daishiki. Um, <laughs> uh, you're,
2: not to, you're not allowed to wear them things there. <laughs> what? Ah! I'm dead.
1: I'm uh, so vivid. <laughs> but no, no, jokes aside, yeah, that you're not allowed to wear those. Uh, like just like just g- generally, just uh, embracing that kind of culture. Obviously, not where your culture is for them, mm. but you know the good elements of your culture. Are really trying to educate and, and, and bring that. You know, it would be nice for your friends to eat pepper soup. You know. <laughs> 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 you know, it's nice for them to to, to try those kind of things. You know, save their lives. You're trying to kill our brothers. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I think I think I think that's also another another element whereby it will uh, be good. Um, it will help to to improve the whole idea of just the racial disparity,
0: uh, the disparity between races. I think historically the church has responded to issues. So if you look back into some of the older systematic theologies, which are trying to articulate what does the Bible teach on things? Yeah. There aren't sections necessarily on abortion. That's not because the church has just now begun to say that abortion is not a Christian view. Mm. It's because prevalent within those societies was the view that abortion was incorrect. It wasn't God's ordained means. So people weren't writing that in their systematic theologies. It's only Mm. when that view has begun to be challenged that people are now writing books on abortion. It's now coming into sections of when people are talking about the issues of murder and so on, they're writing about abortion. They're reactive. Exactly. So similar, similarly, I think what's going to happen, what ought to happen is we've got to be thinking about how we can develop a theology of race Mm. because people are now in that place of, I think being concerned with how these issues actually affect us as Christians it's very important that those who have the gifting to teach are actually being able to go into the scriptures and say, don't just go wild on how you think about these things. Actually think about it within the context of the guidelines the Bible gives us to think about race. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important to furthering this forward because truth ultimately leads to practice. So we can only have racial reconciliation in practice if we understand the truth that espouses that position. I hear you. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I think, and if we know that, something to be mindful of if we know that you know god is 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 saving and has saved people from every tribe tongue and nation then we should be always aware of that reality so yeah. even if in our church we go to a, a ethnic church maybe when your church is all black or all white we should do all, all we can to partner with possibly other churches from other um ethnicities in supporting the gospel mission yeah because we know that you know god is gathering people from all, all nations so we shouldn't just be so tunnel vision to look at our own Mm-hmm. But look around us and the context around us and be, and be mm-hmm. desirous of that as well.
0: All right, so I feel like that's a good point to end on actually, how the, the gospel really speaks to this issue of race. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's episode three of Black Berea. I'm Kofi. I'm Mary. Dummy. And Richard. Take care.